Nippur Gupta is swimming in the warm tropical water of the Arabian Sea. It was a beach close by, uh, not very crowded, but beautiful beach. The way there, there were rocks and the water, the sunset was beautiful there. She's watching the early evening sky fill with pink and orange. I realized very slowly that I was being drifted towards the other side of the sea. I'm moving and the waves are moving me because I'm not swimming that way. The sea starts getting a bit rough. I thought, okay, this might be over. I'm Tora Kachur, and this is Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people, an original podcast by OnStar. It's a series full of stories about people living their best lives until one day they find themselves unexpectedly in need of help. It's February 14th. And Nippur Gupta is in paradise, a region called Goa on the southwestern coast of India. I first visited Goa in 2003 and I fell in love. I thought this is a place everyone should come at least once a year to unwind. So I was very happy when I got this opportunity as a yoga teacher. And luckily this came my way and I grabbed it with both my hands. She takes a four-week placement as a yoga teacher at a tropical resort. She's at a moment in her life where a brave choice pays off. I was a marketing professional working with different corporates in India. Then uh, I think 2016, I decided to take a conscious break to focus more on my personal development and learning a new skill and exploring the life in a different way. How many of us dream of giving up the security of a 9-to-5 gig and taking that leap of faith into a passion project? Nippur didn't just dream it. She was doing it. She's teaching Hatha Yoga, which focuses on relaxation and meditation. When you're practicing, uh, when you're more fit, then you can have more clarity about your thoughts. Sorry, maybe I sound like I'm advertising yoga a lot, but um, yoga is something you wouldn't regret. How much ever you do it or you take a break, it just brings clarity to one. After her last class of the day, she walks to the beach. It's a long arc of white sand, and there are only four or five people on it. Bored lifeguard half watches as Nippur wades into the water. She swims out, watching the sun go down. This was a time when it was changing from low tide to high tide. The sea starts getting a bit rough. Nippur looks over her shoulder towards the shore. I realized that I was being drifted towards the other side of the sea. So I know that I'm moving and the waves are moving me because I'm not swimming that way. So that's when I decided to swim back. She's made the right decision, but she's made it too late. 
Nippur swims as hard as she can, but the tide keeps carrying her away. It started to get difficult because I was not making much progress. It pushes her out and also sideways, parallel to the shore. Soon she's behind a large group of rocks. In those seconds, the waves were more rough, bigger, and uh, pushing me back into the sea. I need help. But because of that small island of rocks, no one in shore can see her. The only person who can is a swimmer, someone standing in shallower water, halfway out from shore. So I, I saw a silhouette of uh, a head and a hand uh, trying to uh, swim uh, against the waves. So I, I didn't see uh, who could be there. I couldn't even make out it's a girl or a boy. That's Attila Bosniak, a Hungarian financial advisor, currently living in the Netherlands and vacationing in India. He's three days into a six-day yoga retreat at the same resort Nepur is teaching at. She's uh, basically struggling against the waves, uh, but uh, is at the, exactly the same spot uh, compared to the rocks behind which uh, she tried to swim towards the uh, beach. Now, we all want to believe we're the kind of people who would risk our lives to save someone else's. Attila Bosniak doesn't have to wonder anymore, because in that moment, he did. I don't even feel the moment of a rational decision. I really felt that she will not uh, get out. So I thought that uh, I, I need to help. He doesn't have much time. The sun's now below the horizon. Soon, it'll be dark. I saw that uh, she's going away the, uh, towards the open sea, uh, with every minute uh, losing five meters. If he doesn't get to her now, no one ever will. I saw this person swimming towards me, looked like a man, and uh, I waved because I thought, I hope he saw me and he should come to me. He keeps swimming, fighting the current, finally reaching her. I was really close, so I tried to grab her hand and pull her uh, towards the shore. So we did not say anything to each other. We just had this eye contact. He reached out to me and... By now, the current was really high, and I was trying to reach to his hand, to hold his hand. He has her. He squeezes her hand, starts to lead her back to the shore. And I calmed down. I thought, okay, now everything is fine, and I will be rescued. And a bigger wave came and took me away. The wave breaks their grip. Nippur is pushed away, and suddenly Attila is helpless. I cannot go against the wave, so I miscalculated my capabilities to swim against the wave. I remember looking at this person into his eyes, and he looking at me, and then I saw this person taking a turn and going out towards the shore or swimming away from me. Nippur is baffled. Her would-be rescuer is now swimming away from her. I panicked. I thought, this might be over. I stopped uh, swimming. I stopped making any efforts. She floats in the ocean, resigned now that the current will take her out to sea. That this 
is her last glimpse of the shoreline. This is Tell Me What Happened, a podcast created by OnStar to showcase how important a human connection is when you need help. Whether you are lost on a backcountry road or floating in the Arabian Sea. Attila, the Hungarian tourist, didn't desert Nippur. He had a plan, and it's a good one. It's just not obvious to Nippur. I was next to her, and then I was swimming away. She didn't know why I'm swimming away, of course. Nearby is a cluster of rocks just poking above the water. Now I decided to try to swim towards the rocks and climb to the rocks and wave to the, the guard. I got close to the rocks and uh, the waves uh, hit me and hit me first to the rock. I just put my hands next to my head, so if I'm smashed to the rocks, then it's not my head, so I'm, I'm remaining conscious because otherwise <laughs> it's over. And uh, it smashed me twice to the rock, and uh, after the second I could grab the rocks. Uh, they were quite sharp, so they hurt my finger, but I was able to climb up to the rocks. Next thing I see is his on top of the rock, waving to the lifeguard. And then I took a deep breath of relief that, okay, this man did not run away or abandon me. He's getting help for uh, me. The lifeguard has a surf ski. It's like a stand-up paddleboard. You sit on and paddle like a kayak. He paddles out to Nippur. He brings her back to the beach and she collapses, exhausted on the sand. In less than five minutes, she's gone from completely losing hope to being safely on shore. Attila watches. Once Nippur is out of danger, he leaves his perch on the rocks and swims to the beach. He steps out of the water and approaches Nippur. She's recovered her breath and is sitting up, and she's smiling. It's twilight, that magical time of day when it's neither dark nor light, but Nippur can see clearly. Despite her close call, it's actually Attila who's in rough shape. His finger was bleeding. His thighs had some blood. I said, all right, please be here and let me get something for you. I can try to fix uh, these wounds. I ran to this tiny shop and I got things like antiseptic, cleanser. As I was getting out, I saw this chocolate ice cream counter and I'm like... Okay, sugar also helps. She returns to the beach, and at first she can't see him, but there he is. He's moved away from the water's edge and is sitting at the base of one of the dunes. She wraps his finger, cleans up the scrapes on his legs, wipes a smear of blood from his cheek, and then they have some ice cream. That uh, cool feeling of the ice cream, the sweet ice cream, that also, you know, gives you back to the feeling of reality because you feel taste and you concentrate on on some pleasure. Now picture this scene. Two strangers sitting together on a deserted beach, the darkness of the night settling in, their adrenaline starting to fade. The ice cream is finished. And don't forget, this is all happening on February 14th, St. Valentine's Day. 
I was so drawn towards him and had this uh, instant connect. No small talk, no icebreakers. You know, you're just talking. Hey, you saved my life. Thank you. <laughs> so, I knew I was thanking him from the deepest of my heart. Some sort of a natural connect that might be there between two people after uh, living such an experience together. So it was uh, wasn't like talking with a stranger. The words came naturally, the sentences came naturally. And then I thought, what a beautiful man. What a beautiful human. The next few days sound like a fairy tale. We, you know, spend all these uh, breaks together and uh, after uh, uh, the yoga sessions in the evenings, uh, the connection deepened. We mostly had our meals together we took walks together we also went walking by the sea also for a swim in the sea and we laughed when we went again and this was for next three days because after that the retreat was over atella's phone buzzes it's a reminder to check in for his flight that's when he makes his second big decision of the week. Atila stayed back for close to a week and uh, the day he was leaving we celebrated my birthday. At the end of the second week, they both have to leave. Nepur's contract at the resort is ending and Atila has his job back in Holland. I knew I liked him and I knew I would like to date a man like him because he ticked all my boxes. <laughs> so I was having these thoughts and then uh, the morning came when we were both leaving and i remember i was just very happy with this whole experience after my return to the netherlands yes we kept on messaging and talking and uh, we felt like longing for each other we went back to our respective worlds stayed in touch and i would just light up when i would get message from Atila or when I would uh, when I have to call him or a video call him we decided to meet each other the Chaudhry Charan Singh International Airport in northeastern India is a dramatic piece of architecture a giant arc of glass and steel but it's a cold almost antiseptic place there is no golden sunset, no twinkly stars cutting through the twilight, no waves gently washing over the sand. Flight 117 from Amsterdam now arriving. But it's still incredibly romantic. I hugged him when I saw him and it was beautiful. Uh, we stayed in Delhi for a night and took a road trip to Lucknow. Via Agra, I wanted to show him Taj Mahal. Took a stop at Taj Mahal. It was there, in front of a massive mausoleum of white marble, a mansion dedicated to undying love, that Attila made what we will call his third big decision in India. I proposed at the Taj Mahal. And I gladly uh, accepted. So Attila helped Nepur, then Nepur helped Attila, and now they're helping each other. So that's an unexpected uh, journey that ended up uh, beautifully. 
I think, yeah, you cannot plan everything in your life. And it's just beautiful to go with the flow. This is Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. OnStar has been around for 25 years, and in that time, they've helped countless people in all sorts of ways. I can't confirm they've ever helped someone find the love of their life, but it's quite possible. So with that in mind, I want to dig a little deeper into the idea of people meeting in a moment of crisis and falling in love. To do that, I want to bring in Dr. Denise Marigold. She's an associate professor of psychology, and I want to get her opinion on relationships that began in stressful situations. For starters, I want her perception of what was happening with Attila and Nippur when they finally reached the beach and knew they were safe. Well, their hearts were pounding in the first place because of this frightening near accident, but then they find their hearts pounding in each other's presence, and you get what we call misattribution of arousal. So they've attributed the arousal they're experiencing from this near-death experience to this attractive person in front of them. And there's actually a, a famous study on this phenomenon that took place on the bridge that sways and bounces over 200 feet above a rushing river. So what they they did for this study was have an attractive young woman posing as a researcher. And when she saw a young man crossing the bridge alone, she'd approach him to do a short survey. And she'd then say, I'd love to tell you more about the study, but I don't have a lot of time right now. I'll give you my name and number and give me a call tonight if you'd like to hear more about the study. And then they had another comparison condition where the same procedure was followed, but instead the woman stopped the man on a low, safe, stable concrete bridge. And the main thing the researchers were interested in is whether the man would actually call her after she'd given them her number. And in support of this misattribution of arousal theory, uh, many more men who were approached on the shaky bridge compared to the stable bridge called the woman. And the thinking was that they were more likely to call the woman when they'd had this experience meeting her where they're like, hey, my heart is pounding. We must have some chemistry here. So this misattribution of the arousal, how often can it bear fruit? Um, I mean, I think it can account for or explain some initial sparks, but there's obviously a lot more to developing a relationship with that. So maybe something sparks in a way uh, that it wouldn't have otherwise, but still to become a long-term relationship, um, you know, these intense kind of meetings, they have to lead to something more and and where you have the ingredients of a good long-term relationship. The couple has to go from that moment and then build trust and learn to communicate. And ideally they have shared values and interests and things like that. So are there techniques for relationship success that you can recommend to people that are going through stressful situations that may impact their relationship, especially early on? So in, in terms of advice, there's kind of a few things I would say. Uh, one is to be aware of the effects of stress on you and your partner. We tend to underestimate this. And, and so we see, oh, my partner's being kind of snappy or impatient with me. Um, you know, they're not showing they care for me. Maybe, that you know, they don't care about me as much anymore. But often that kind of thing is happening because there's some like real crisis or stress or emergency situation where people are not themselves, right? So the more you can be aware of that, um, you can kind of try and work through that. And one of the other things we see is that couples who have some kind of crisis later on in their relationship, if they've had some 
early uh, sort of more mild stressors in the relationship, that can kind of buffer them from the effects of that later stress. Like if you have in a lower stress environment, a chance to practice your good communication skills, right? Then that can have you prepared for when something more major hits, right? Um, But again, that's only if you have those good skills. Practicing bad communication skills isn't going to help. One of the things that we're talking about is this idea of stress impacting really negative relationship decisions. What about having that actual stress build to something positive? Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's research showing that after a natural disaster, if you look at marriages and divorces within those communities, you tend to see an increase in both. So it's almost like, okay, I've I've nearly died here. This terrible thing has happened. People sit back and go, what am I doing with my life? What are my priorities? Am I living my life the way I want to live my life? And for some people that will turn to wow, I have this great person and I hardly even was grateful for this. I'm going to increase my commitment, right? For other people that will be like, wow, what am I doing in this toxic relationship? I have to get out of this, right? So I can see for for this couple, there's a real sort of setting back. Wow, I almost died there. Like, I'm not going to sit back and wait for things to happen. Like, here's a chance. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to cross the distance and make this relationship work. But either way, maybe we shouldn't be waiting for that natural disaster to happen before we make No, no, no. Don't don't try drowning to meet the love of your life. (laughs) Thank you so much, Denise. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened. True stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want an update on what Nupur and Attila are up to, There's a link in the show notes to take you to our website, or you can go straight to OnStar.com and tell us your favorite story about a time that someone helped you. Be sure to follow us on whatever app you're using. We have lots of new stories coming your way in the weeks ahead. I'm Tora Kachur, and please be safe out there.